We've been preaching through the Exodus, not Exodus, because that's 40 chapters long. We're going 17 chapters through the story of the Exodus as God leads his people out of Egypt. Um, And we have two weeks left, this week and next week, to finish up the story of the Exodus. And so we are in chapter 16. And as it is the season of Advent, we are paying some attention to how the experience of his, experiences of God's people as they left Egypt still pointed to the deliverance yet to come, which is what we have in view when we celebrate Advent, an anticipation, a looking forward to even, dare I say, a hunger, as we'll see in a moment, for something that the Lord will provide for us. So I'll be reading selections from chapter 16, though we'll be looking at almost the whole chapter This morning, I'll be reading verses 1 through 4, and then 9 through 18, and 31 through 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And down to verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each one of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Then down to verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that you may see the bread with which I feed you in the, fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. This is the word of the Lord. Those prophets of the late 20th century who spoke to us 
wise and piercing words the prophets of the modern age, the rock and roll songwriters told us that you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need, which is a bit of a concession. It's, it's an acceptance. It's a surrender to our powerlessness to attain all the things that we desire and hunger for, but also a hope that even if we don't get what we want, we won't be left hungry and wanting. We'll at least get what we need. Now, is that true when it comes to God's provision for his people? Are we to be like Ralphie in the Christmas story, begging for a Red Ryder BB gun, even when everyone else around us tells us you're not going to get what you want because it's not good for you. And God is the grumpy Santa hearing our request and saying, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Are we the kids who put a new bike on our wish list only to find socks under the tree in the morning? Advent is to be a season of longing, a season of expectation, of anticipation, of looking forward to the coming of whatever God has promised. And for the Israelites in the wilderness, what they cried out for was provision, that God would meet their needs. What does that look like for us? Well, it would not surprise you if I said that God meets our needs, God provides for us through Jesus Christ. But what does that look like? What is that provision like for us? There are two aspects of the provision of God that we see in this story that will show us what His provision for us in Christ is like. The first is that His provision is gracious. And the second is that His provision is sufficient. And as we see how God has provided for His people in the wilderness, we will see even more clearly how He provides for us today in Christ. The first thing I want to look at is how God's provision is gracious. And there's two things I want us to see in that. The first is that gracious means that it's God who provides. Shortly after, this story takes place right after their miraculous delivery at the Red Sea, which we heard about last week. Now the people of Israel are running out of food, and they're in the desert, and they complain to Moses and to Aaron. And in response, Moses and Aaron tell them in verses 6 and 7, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumblings against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? You see, they'd gone and taken their complaints to Moses and Aaron. And they blamed Moses and Aaron for their situation and for their hunger. Moses and Aaron redirect the complaints, rightly so. Because if we believe that we don't have what we truly need, then our complaint is with the Lord. He is the ultimate giver of every gift. When we give our offerings in worship, as we did this morning, we always conclude with a doxology. And very often the doxology we use has these words, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Because we are acknowledging that the only reason we have anything to give in the first place is that God has given us what we need. You have what you have because God has given it to you. As we're reminded in James 1, don't be deceived. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What we truly need will be given to us. 
not made by us. God provides apart from what Israel would do. He sent manna and he sent quail, bread that they did not cook and prepare, animals that they did not raise and, and keep and trap. God provided despite what they did. Verses 13 through 14 says that in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. Two things they did nothing to make happen. And when the dew had gone up, there was this fine flake-like thing like frost on the ground. And they saw it and they didn't even know what it was. So they called it manna, which means, what is it? And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Gracious means God provides, not that we worked for it and earned it. God gave it to us. When the Israelites complained about their lack of food, the problem wasn't that they complained about being hungry. We should recognize our needs. No, the problem was that they had a need, but they did not trust that God would meet their need. And that's why they complained. They complained to Moses and Aaron and they believed the worst and they said it would have been better if they just died back in Egypt where they were slaves. What does that say about how they viewed God? It says that they still believed the lie of the serpent speaking to Eve in the garden saying, in essence, God is holding out on you. God is not giving you what you need. When we don't look to God and trust Him to provide, we're choosing to believe either that God cannot provide, that He cannot care for us and give us what we need, or that He doesn't want to take care of us, or we're believing both of those things at the same time. Fill in the blank. You know the saying, if you want something done right, you've got to... If you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. See what I did there? I had to do it myself because... There's some truth in that, but when we let that work into our heart and let that work into our view of God and to our view of our deepest needs, it is poisonous. If I want to be secure, if I want to be accepted, if I want to be loved, if I want to see justice in the world, I've got to take care of it myself. But God wants us to trust Him to care for us. Because it shows then that He is both powerful and loving. He is able to meet our needs and He wants to meet our needs. When we trust Him, it's, it's, it's us confessing, God, You are powerful. God, You are loving. You will take care of me. You will provide. So I ask you, I challenge you to look to your own heart. What is it that you hunger for? What is it that you lack and I'm not talking really about new cars, phones, 401ks, or anything like that. I'm talking about the hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm talking about a desire to be satisfied in your life. You know, material things are the solution to that problem, we believe. But the real hunger is that I would be content, that I would be satisfied, that I would not be scared about the future, that I would see justice and peace in the world, that I would be affirmed and accepted, that I would belong and I have a place where I am loved. These are the things that we hunger for. 
And when we hunger for them, we naturally look somewhere else. We look to the next election. We look to the next product release. We look to the popular kids at school. We look to the promises of a leader. We look to the hope of another relationship. And when we do so, we are in effect saying, God cannot provide for me or he will not. I've got to do it myself. But God graciously, graciously provides. Now, am I saying that if you look to God, you will get everything you want, everything you ask for? No. I'm saying that where we look for provision shows what we believe and really shows what we worship. And so in our confession of faith this morning, one of the lines alluded to Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In Christ, God has shown us that he can be trusted for the big things. He has given us Jesus Christ. He has given us the perfect sacrifice that takes away your sin. He has given you eternal life in Christ. He can therefore be trusted for the lesser things, the smaller things. Because God is gracious and that means that He provides. But the word gracious has another implication that we need to examine. It doesn't just mean that God provides apart from what we do. That He steps in and gives us bread we did not bake and animals that we did not raise and and meet our needs. It also means that God provides apart from what we deserve. Gracious means we don't deserve what God provides. Listen to how this is set up in verses 2 and 3. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That's the attitude that set up this whole miracle. and That's very important. I want you to pay attention here. The people of Israel were not asking God for anything let alone a miraculous deliverance of food. In fact, they were sure that God was just going to leave them to starve. And it is to these people, with this attitude, this state of unbelief, these doubting, unfaithful people, it is to them, in the midst of their lack of faith, that God pours out bread from heaven. The equation is not, have faith, and then, because of that, God will provide as if God is eager and ready to bless and provide for you. But oh no, he can't do anything until you have enough faith. No, that's unscriptural nonsense. Which comes first in the story? Is that people believed God first or did God provide for them first? God provided. And then they went out and in their belief, in their faith, they gathered what the Lord had provided. They received his blessing. Which comes first for us today? Is it any different? It's not. Which comes first, our faith or God's action? It is a lie and a deception of a, of a pseudo-Christian teaching that says that God's activity can't happen unless we have faith. That's, that's not how he works. God acts and we respond by believing. And in faith, we act upon what we believe about what God has done. 
There's no situation where Jesus is standing next to the cross saying, come on, I really want to get up there and die for your sins, but you got to believe. No, he did it. Long before you knew you needed it, before anyone asked for it, God acted and provided. This should make us very careful not to boast about what God has done for us as if we somehow earned it or somehow deserved it. Oh, we wouldn't be so wrong as to say that we were good people and therefore God loved us and blessed us. We don't believe works righteousness, but do we not at times let it slip into our thinking that, yeah, but I've got the right doctrine. Or I prayed that prayer. I, I believed and therefore God blesses me. And that's getting it backwards. Because when we do that, we're not seeing grace as grace. We are seeing grace as a reward, as a payment for something we do. It's like, and this happens every year. You know, I hear grown-ups asking kids, oh, what did you get for Christmas this year? And the kid tells about their, you know, their favorite things. Oh, you must have been such a good kid to get a present like that. And the kid says, yeah. And mom and dad are saying, no. <laughs> no. If I was marking your deeds, if I was keeping track, you know, Psalm 130 says, if, if you, Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. If I kept a record of your deeds and then at the end of the year did a tally and said, all right, what Christmas gifts are you getting this year? It's socks under the tree. You know, like that's, it's a gift in love that we do not deserve. It's graciousness. Paul warns the church not to fall into this trap in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you then received it, why are you boasting as if you did not receive it? Why are you boasting and acting like you deserved this, like you earned it? Like God should be thankful for what you have done. Now this sword cuts two ways. First, it, it should level our pride, and that's what I've been getting at first. We can't point to something in us and say, God is rewarding me for this, whether it's our doctrine, our belief, our deeds, anything. But this sword also comes the other direction and cuts away the lie that God withholds from us the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the provision we need because we've messed up, because we haven't done enough because we haven't been the right kind of people and therefore God is, is, is holding back. If we suffer lack, if we do not have what we need, it is the wisdom of God for our good during that season of life. It is not the impatient and fickle cruelty of a God who's just waiting for us to get our act together before he treats us kindly. No, it is a gracious thing. We don't deserve it. This is... This is what we see in the way that he provided for Israel in the wilderness. Consider this, that not only setting up the story as they question and as they doubt and as they disbelieve, he, he still sends the manna, but every day for 40 years, including the day when they fashioned a golden calf and bowed down to it, including the day when they let the Midianites come in and literally seduce them into idolatry and false worship, including the days when they rejected Moses as their leader, including the days when they sinned again and again and again, the manna fell. The manna fell on the day they worshipped the calf. 
The manna fell on the day they rejected their God. The manna fell when they didn't believe his promises or obey his commands. God doesn't bless us because of who we are. God blesses us because of who he is. That is graciousness. He is a God full of compassion, faithful in all his ways. And to you, sinner, Christ is given not because you are a good and worthy person, but as Romans 5 tells us, God shows, us, shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's the graciousness of the provision of God. Now he calls you to respond to this, yes, and to live lives worthy of your calling, but he did not wait to give you Christ and all his benefits until you had earned it or deserved it. And he does not stop blessing you on the days that you fail him. He is gracious in all that he does. So we've seen that the provision of God is gracious, but we also see here that it is sufficient. And there's two things I want to draw your attention to on that. One, sufficient means that God provides for all our needs. Verses 16 and 17, the command was this, to gather each of you as much as you can eat. Each shall take an omer, which is like a unit of measurement, like a liter or something like that, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. You got five people, you get five portions. You got two people, you get two portions, that sort of thing. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered. Some had to gather more. Some had to gather less. But when they measured it, everybody who, had, who gathered much had no extra. They didn't have anything left over. And those who only gathered a little bit, they, they weren't sure. There was no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. The miracle wasn't just that God provided bread from heaven. It was that each time they gathered, they always had enough. Never too much. Never too little. Now, some people, and I'm sure none of us would have been in this category, but some of them tried to get extra. You know, verses 19 and 20, Moses said, don't leave any of it until the morning. It's, there's going to be provision tomorrow. Your needs are going to be met tomorrow too. But they did not listen to Moses, which is the common refrain here. And some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. See, they get what they need, but they get no more. Because God is going to continue to provide each day all their needs. But we confuse want and need, don't we? Hey, this stuff is so great. I want two omers worth. No, it's not going to work like that. Confusing want and need is something that starts with us very young. I want a cookie. You absolutely want a cookie. I need a cookie. No, you don't. I need that new game system. I need that car. I need a relationship. I need a raise. I need that house. I need an official Red Rider Carbine Action 200 shot range model air rifle. No, you want those things. The serpent told Eve in the garden, you need this. You won't be happy without this. God doesn't understand what you need. And if God isn't giving us what we need, then he isn't providing for us. When in reality, God isn't giving us what we want, but he's absolutely giving us what we need because his provision is sufficient. To understand how God provides, we have to trust that he knows what we need better than we do. Philippians 4, 19 says, My God will supply every need of yours 
according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I cannot tell you how many times I have heard good, well-meaning Christians take that verse and try to draw from it the belief that God's going to give them everything they want. Now, the promise is this, not that you'll get everything you want, you'll have everything you need, which means that your real, true, deep needs will be met, needs that God knows even if you don't. Now, it might not be the lifestyle or the things that you want. It might not be the things you envisioned, even good things that you pictured and desired, but it will be the good and perfect plan of God. Now, sometimes we try to force God to provide in a certain way, don't we? You know, there's this curious passage in here in verses 25 and following where Moses told them, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. They told people on the sixth day, God's going to send extra. You gather twice as much on the sixth day and then it's not going to be out there on the seventh day so that you take a Sabbath and you rest. Six days gather it, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there'll be none. But guess what happened on the seventh day? Some of them went out to gather it and they found, surprise, surprise, none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long are you guys going to refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? You see, God had said, I'm going to provide in a certain way. And here's my clear commandments about the ways I'm not going to provide. You want me to meet your needs in this way, but I've already told you it's going to be met in that way. And sometimes we don't accept God's way of providing for us. How easy can it be for us to decide that I think God must answer my prayers and must provide for me in this way? Trusting God doesn't mean we accept only what He provides. We also have to accept how He provides. We need community. And we insist that God gives us a certain type of family or certain types of friendships, but maybe not, that's not His plan for how He's going to meet our need. We need security and we expect and maybe demand that God give us stable finances or the kind of position that we want and maybe that's not how God is going to give us the security that we actually need. No, we don't get to write the script for God. We don't get to decide how He will provide, but we are assured nonetheless that He will provide all that we need. The Apostle Paul dealt with this once. He shared his journey on this uh, in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Now, we don't know what this was. It could have been a physical illness or malady or some sort. Uh, lots of theories. What's important is, we, even though we don't know what it was, it bothered him. And he responded by three times pleading with the Lord that God would take it away. He's got a problem, and his prayer is, God, here's how you're going to provide for me. You're going to take this away. You're going to remove this pain from my life. And God did not. Instead, God says, no, my grace is sufficient. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. It wasn't the answer Paul expected or wanted, but it was how God provided for him, not by removing the pain, but by providing the grace to endure the pain. We don't get to dictate how God will meet our needs, but we do have the promise that in Christ, whatever it is, it will be sufficient. Lastly, and briefly, there's one more facet of this to, look at, this to look at. Sufficient means that God will meet all our needs, but it also means that we'll never run out. Sufficiency, sufficient means that God provides so that we never run out. Look at verse 35. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. 
They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Okay, and that's very important, the timing of that. They wander around for 40 years until the day they are at the border of the promised land. For as long as God had been leading them there and promising them this land, he had referred to it as a land flowing with milk and honey. And growing up in the church as I did and hearing that phrase so often in my young imagination, I pictured literal rivers and waterfalls of milk and honey. Because, I mean, that would be cool, right? Weird. I'm not sure if I would want to drink it, but it'd be cool. That's not what the Lord is putting out there. What he's describing is the land that that he was giving his people was in what we today call the Fertile Crescent. It's this, um, this area of land in the Middle East with, that surrounds rivers and along the Mediterranean where there's just, all around it is wilderness, but in that area is beautiful, fertile land where food grows so easily. And when you're out in the wilderness, you, you, can't, you don't have a lot of milk because you can't graze cattle and sheep and goats. They just don't have enough to eat. But in this plan where the Lord, place where the Lord was leading them, there would be grass as far as the eyes could see. And their, their herds, their flocks and herds could graze and produce milk. But not only that, there would be trees bearing abundant fruit, which has flowers, which means bees, which means honey. It was a beautiful, fertile land that would feed them for generations to come. That's the picture. When you read milk and honey, you need to understand that God is saying, you are going to a good land where you will be fed and provided for generation after generation after generation. That was the promise. That's what they looked forward to, that they would have all that they needed. But until they got there, they didn't have that. They were wandering through the wilderness and they were hungry. And manna and quail was God's provision for them until the day when they reached their final unending supply. So right up until the border of Canaan, then once they arrive, the Lord has said, okay, you're here now. You're in the place where I've provided the land that will feed you the rest of your days. Now, as for us, we might not be wandering in the wilderness, heading towards a new geography with fertile soil, but... For every generation since, uh, since these words were written, God's people have looked at this journey and said, this is much like us. We have been given the promise of what God will give us. A day when we are fully satisfied and there is no hunger and there is no pain and there is no want and there is no sense of unfulfillment or need in the kingdom of God. But until then, we are wandering in the wilderness and we are hungry. And while we are there, God has promised to provide for us. We are like the Israelites dwelling in this long moment, looking ahead to the fulfillment of what God has promised, but experiencing a daily need that God will supply. And God wants us to look forward to the greater things that he's promised us. But he also promises to lead us securely to those things. Listen to Philippians 4, 12 and 13. Familiar verse that you need to hear in context. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a famous verse there. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, right? What that does not mean is that I can do insane, unimaginable things that, that defy reason because God's going to give me the strength to do it. I can, I can go out there this weekend and make a million bucks because Jesus is going to strengthen me to do it. 
No, that's, that's not what this is talking about. The context is Paul's writing a thank you letter to the church in Philippi that just sent him a financial gift that's going to enable him to eat for the next few weeks and months. And he says, hey, thank you for that. But what you need to know is that even if you couldn't do that, God is taking care of me. I know how to live in the midst of poverty and in plenty. I know how to have nothing in my wallet and how to have a thousand bucks in my bank account. I can do that because God strengthens me. God's going to supply in every circumstance. It's not a promise that you'll do miraculous things. It's a promise that you will make it. A promise that whatever you face, you will endure. God will provide. God will meet your needs. You can carry on through the desert until you reach the final rest that God has given. No matter what obstacles, no matter what challenges you face, you will always have the strength God provides. Because he who has called you on this journey said in, verse, in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. I love that verse. Because for so long, my, my concept of the gospel was God began a good work in me and then wishes me well as I try to complete it. He's cheering for me. He's rooting for me. He's watching me. But it's up to me to make it to the end. But no, the gospel says, no, no, no. He who began the good work will supply everything you need to carry it into completion until the day of Christ. This is the gospel, brothers and sisters. The gospel is not a moment of forgiveness. The gospel is not about a moment of salvation or a moment of enlightenment. It is a lifelong provision until your journey is complete. Hear how it's written in Colossians 1. To them, being us, God chose to make known how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. That's the provision there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? What's the goal? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal, that we will reach the end of our journey, that we will be mature in Christ. To this end I labor, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. God has set you on a journey. God has promised and given you a destination, but God has also guaranteed, promised, you will be fully supplied and provided for until you reach full maturity, until you arrive in the kingdom that he has promised. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. And it's the very heart of Advent. God's people for hundreds of years after arriving in Canaan, they recognized that their journey still wasn't complete because sin still tore at their desires. Unbelief still seduced their loyalty away from the God who had brought them there and death still ended their enjoyment of the good gifts of God. And so they still, though they were in Canaan, they still hungered and they still cried out for God to provide a satisfaction that would not fade or run dry. They looked for the coming of God's total provision, for the Messiah who would come and provide finally and fully all that they desired. And that Messiah did come. And he sat down one day and he fed 5,000 of them with a few loaves of bread. And then he said to them these words in John 6, Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And then this Messiah this king that they had longed for said, I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but they still died. But this, the Messiah, Jesus, is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of the bread from heaven who would give his very flesh that we who had rejected him, doubted him, we would be provided for not only for a few years in the desert, but for eternity. That our very deepest need to be forgiven and reconciled to God would be accomplished in him. Our need to be supplied and strengthened for all our days would be met in him. And so at Advent, especially, we cry out and we hunger and we look forward to the day when we who wander in the wilderness will reach the promised kingdom and never hunger again. And we look to the bread of heaven and we say, you have come once to save, you will come again to satisfy us fully on that day when we will feast in the house of Zion and weep no more. Let us thank the Father who gave the bread of heaven, providing all that we need and reminding us of his promise that we will one day never hunger again. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we are hungry people. We pray that we would hunger for the right things, but more importantly, that in our hunger, we would turn to the one who is truly able to satisfy, the one who will provide, the one who has given even himself a provision that is both gracious and sufficient for all our journey. We thank you for this. Even as, you, even as our worship began with the psalmist, we would echo those words, that those who fear you lack nothing. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You are good. We praise you in the name of our Savior, the bread of heaven. Jesus Christ, amen.